There are many ways people listen to Vision, including in cars through the Vision app. The Vision app is compatible with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So if you have mobile coverage, you can stream any of Vision's live radio channels in crystal clear quality and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts all on the go. There are other ways to connect your phone to your vehicle speakers too. You can see detailed instructions when you Google ways to listen to Vision. However and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The Ephesians were doing well in all these areas, but Jesus says, I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. What is first love? Because it's so serious that Jesus says, if you don't repent and change, I'm gonna come and remove my lampstand. So I have to ask two questions. What is first love and what is the lampstand? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hi, and welcome to a new series of messages on Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff finishes a message called My First Love. He's partway through this message, so if you need, head back to check out part one wherever you listen to podcasts. This is part of a series about checking our hearts, a spiritual heart check. Here's Pastor Jeff in Revelation chapter 2. As I was preparing this, I heard God say to me, and it's not an audible voice, you know, a lightning didn't come down and strike me in the head or anything like that, but I could just sense God saying, hey, before you stand up on your high perch and preach, why don't you ask yourself some questions first? Man, that was convicting. So I did. These questions are for me. And I want you to ask, would God ask you these questions? The first question I felt myself asking is, What incense am I burning? Abstain from every form, the appearance of evil, that requires real commitment. And that was the church at Ephesus. They refused to do anything that even gave the appearance of evil. But I looked at my life, am I not a freedom junkie? Are you a freedom junkie? I don't like anybody telling me what I can or cannot do, do you? And I especially don't like somebody telling me I can't do something if it's not wrong. But Jesus seems to ask us to go the next level. Not only that it's not wrong, but it doesn't give the appearance of wrong. And if my heart is right, I'm told I won't have a problem with that because my ultimate goal is to glorify God and to not do anything that would shame or dishonor his name. To avoid the appearance of wrongdoing, man, that seems radical to me. It's the pastor who demands his right to drink, but in reality visits the bar far too frequently. It's two people, both of whom are married, who demand trust from their respective spouses, but spend far too much time with someone other than their husband or wife. It's the Christ follower who protests that gambling is not a sin, but spends far too much time at the track or the casino. The places we go and the things we participate in, the way we dress, the manner we treat each other are all signs of who we are and the world takes notice. There should be a heartfelt desire in your life and my life to govern our lives in such a way that never brings shame to Jesus. Even if the activity in and of itself is not wrong, 
If it gives the appearance of wrongdoing, we give up stuff we love for something we love more. That's radical. That's a heart captivated by Christ. Can I ask all of you, what has the appearance of evil in your life? It may not be wrong, but it darkens your light to the world. (laughs) And why do we American Christians, I'm in this, not why you, why us, why do we struggle with frequenting places that clearly dishonor God and his Christ? Why are we not offended by the things that offend Christ? Why would we see the name of Jesus dishonored? Have we become so desensitized that we're not even violated? And we join in, maybe we don't say anything on the outside, but inside we're joining in with everybody else. The places and settings where immorality runs rampant and where evil is called good and good is called evil. Why are we not so offended and shamed by that that we flee it? Pastor Jeff, I know the argument. I've given it. Pastor Jeff, Jesus ate with the sinners. Yes, so that people far from God could come near. Is that your mission? Good for you. Is that why you go? To help people far from God come near? Great, good. I dare say that most of us, his name doesn't even come up. And remember two things. Jesus went up to pray. Jesus went up to pray. Jesus went up to pray all through the scripture which means he possessed the necessary discipline in his life so that he would not be tainted by the world. Do you? Jesus lived in a world while remaining distinct from it. Yeah, he ate with Zacchaeus, but he never helped him collect taxes. He dined with a prostitute, but he never prostituted himself. He didn't separate nor assimilate, but he permeated everywhere he went with the hope and purity of the gospel. Is that your intention when you go to these places? Good, great. What am I honoring in my life that is not honoring to God? The second question I had to ask myself is what statue or sign am I bowing down to? What am I honoring in my life that, listen now, this is important. What am I honoring in my life that perpetuates the offense toward the God I love? What sign, symbol, statue, entity am I honoring, not because I believe in it, or that which it propagates, but simply because I believe I can't live without it or I would pay a huge price. Now, I'm going on a direction here that I don't usually go, so I want you to listen very carefully all the way to the end or you'll misunderstand me. In our culture, there are companies and owners that refuse to allow social and political pressure to press them into submission to ungodly practices. And I try to read about these companies Let me give you a list of some companies that just refuse to compromise. Forever 21. I don't shop there a lot. (laughs) Hobby Lobby, Tyson's Foods, Trader Joe's, Chick-fil-A, Wendy's, In-N-Out, Subway, Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kreme, Alaskan Airlines, Marathon Gas, Marriott, Bass Pro, and there are many more. But alternatively, There are companies that seem absolutely bent on destroying Judeo-Christian values and censoring anything or any word that honors Jesus. And those companies are Coca-Cola and Pepsi and General Motors and Target and Kmart and Nike and Starbucks. These companies are overtly anti-Christian. There's no neutrality here, folks. They're bent on the destruction of Judeo-Christian values and Christianity itself. 
You know, I find it interesting that Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I never see the Ephesians loudly protesting. I don't see them grabbing signs and picketing. I just don't. But I do see them quietly refusing to honor in any way or to bow down to any false idols or godless entities. People say to me sometimes, why why doesn't our church boycott? Because that's not what we do. My job is to preach Jesus and him crucified. I don't want to start majoring in the minors. I'm not a political movement. You're not either. Our kingdom is from another place. and We eagerly await a savior from there. But quietly, individually, individually as Christ's followers, we're all called to a certain level, aren't we? To not honor things that dishonor Christ. And we dare not become legalistic in this because the false idols and false gods are not as clear as they once were. However, when they are clear, and sometimes they are, shall we as Christians not use our purchasing power? to shut down organizations that aggressively require employees to censor language that honors God and his Christ or dishonors them? We do everything we can to live a quiet and peaceable life. But I don't want to be part of something that brings to ruin the name of Jesus. I've been, look, I'm asking more questions than I'm making statements here. I'm evaluating my own life and I ask myself this one thing, what am I honoring in my life that perpetuates the offense toward the God I love? What sign or symbol or statue or entity am I honoring? Not because I believe in it or that which it propagates, but simply because I believe I can't live without it or to shun it would become incredibly inconvenient. That leads me to the last one. What is my faith costing me? The Ephesians paid a high price economically speaking Man, their children were often isolated from other children. They were prevented from buying and selling. That whole thing about the mark of the beast, you don't have to wait for it. It's already been here. It was in the first century already. They could not buy and sell because they had the mark of the spirit on them. They were more often than not the scapegoats of anything and everything that went wrong in Ephesus. If there was an earthquake, a flood, or economic hardship, then the emperors blamed the Christians because they were atheists. They didn't worship the gods. All they had to do, I keep thinking about this, when I think about the the, the mass murder, death, persecution, all they had to do was burn the incense. Just burn it, hold it up, fake it. No. They didn't want the appearance, even the appearance of evil. And I need to ask you and I ask myself, do I have non-negotiables in my life? Do I have any? Because with the advancement of secularization in the West, past Christian non-negotiables have faded away. And we've gone too far. For instance, those of you my age and those of you who are younger, you're not going to believe this, but there was a time when we all Christians burned our records. Now, you don't know what a record is. A record is a round vinyl thing and you put this down a record player and a needle went down and it played the sounds. And in the 70s, we were told it was all from the devil. So we went out and burned very valuable, like the Eagles greatest hits, all of it. We burned it. Of course, Spotify came along and we resurrected it. (laughs) The point I'm making is we move from that to now we have no filters. No, none. 
It doesn't matter what the words say, the artist says, what he stands for, what she doesn't matter to us. We have no, we've moved from craziness to burning everything to craziness on the other side to where we have no filters because we don't want to pay a price. We don't want to be inconvenienced. When I was growing up, you would not shop from stores that were open on Sunday. Okay, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm simply saying that's what we did. Now, a lot of Christian businessmen open their shops on Sunday because it's so lucrative. When in fact, they don't need more money. They're not all. Be careful. Remember, avoid the legalism. Pastor Jeff said, you're going to hell if you open your shop on Sunday. No, I didn't. I simply say, we're not even asking the question anymore. We used to pray at school. Now we don't even pray at home. We used to silently boycott stores that sold pornography. I remember that. You sold pornography, we don't buy anything from you. We don't care anymore. You sell whatever you want, I'll buy from you. Hey, if all the Christians who really are Christians who claim to be Christians individually boycotted the things that dishonored the name of Jesus, they couldn't stay in business in America. They could other places, not in America. What do I have in my life? The only non-negotiable I seem to have in my life is convenience and comfort. Don't violate that. But if your faith is real, folks, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you, especially in this culture, it's going to cost you entertainment, luxuries, popularity, buying and selling, convenience, fame, acceptance. And some costs are willing. They're called sacrifices. Other costs are placed upon you. It's called persecution. But did Jesus not tell us in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Man, if your faith costs you nothing, I'm just not sure it's real. J.C. Ryle wrote that if you choose to become a Christian, you must count the cost. He says, your faith will cost you four things. Number one, your self-righteousness. I like that. You can't have any pride because you're just not that good. I love that. It's going to cost you your ability to trust in yourself and your own righteousness. It's also going to cost you your sins. They're going to be forgiven. I like that too. But he also says, every habit that is wrong must be fought, quarreled with, and crucified. And then he says, number three, you're going to lose your love of ease. Life's not going to be that easy. Trouble will come. And finally, your faith will cost you the favor of the world. You have to make your peace with being despised and rejected. And I'm just not sure we have. James 4.4 4 says friendship with the world is enmity toward God. That is, if you're very comfortable in the world, that means you hate God. Because if you love God, you're not going to be that comfortable. The Ephesians were doing well in all these areas, but Jesus says this thing, and I think this is, this is so important. See, that's why the rest of what I said, if you put it in the context of what he says in the end, it will make sense. Because Jesus says, I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. What is first love? Because it's so serious that Jesus says, if you don't repent and change, I'm going to come and remove my lampstand. So I have to ask two questions. What is first love and what is the lampstand? The best way I can explain this, one of my favorite movies is a movie that Robin Williams starred in called Patch Adams. And sometimes I look back at that movie and I wonder sometimes if that was actually a caricature of his own life because he died by committing suicide. But in the movie, Patch Adams... Through his own pain and mental breakdown, he learns the secret to heal others. It's laughter and intimacy. So he's going through his own mental breakdown and he learns as he's meeting people that he can actually help them. He makes them laugh. And when they laugh, they start to get better. 
He gives them dignity. He makes them laugh. He loves and cares for the people. So he goes to his therapist, the guy that's trying to help him, and his therapist is aloof, legalistic, a by-the-book physician who considers himself above his patients. He does everything medically correct, but does nothing to actually help his patients. And Patch goes to him, Robin Williams, goes to him and says, I'm leaving the hospital. I'm ready to be on my own. I want to help others. I want to help people. I want to learn about people. I really want to get to know them and help them with their troubles. And the therapist replies, well, that's what I do. And Patch goes, yeah, but you suck at it. I love that line. I love that line. You don't even look at people when they're talking to you. I want to listen. I want to be really good at this. That is one of the best modern day examples I can give you of what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, hey, Ephesian Christians, here's your checklist. You know right doctrine. You're theologically correct. You identify false teachers. You stand against idolatry. You shun sexual immorality. You refuse to compromise. You do not tolerate wickedness. You expose false prophets. You persevere under extreme circumstances. You endure financial persecution. But there's one thing I have against you, and it's a big thing. And if you don't rectify it, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What is it? You have a loveless labor. You don't do what you do because you love me. You do what you do because you love you. Now stay with me. This is always a risk of a Christ follower. Because we all want significance. Every single one of us, no matter what we say, we want to be known. We want to be accepted by society. You might even say we want to be unique. We want to stand out. And the more Christians become distinct, the more they will stand out and the more unique they will become. And that's great on one side because they'll become salt and light. However, this uniqueness can become a false god as powerful as the emperors and the goddesses. It's when your identity shifts from Jesus to your self-righteousness. Look at me go. I am a good Christian. You bunch of heathens. Right? Folks, I got to tell you something. The spiritual achievements of Ephesus were famous among the churches. And Jesus says to them, I know, I know you're good. I know your reputation. I got that. But I know your heart because I have eyes of fire. And you don't do these things because you love me or love others. You do these things to increase your reputation, to satisfy your passion for self-righteousness. Imagine me coming home and, I, and Robin's not there and I clean the house. Okay, this is a fantasy. So I clean everything. I mean, I've cleaned the entire house. Robin comes home and she sees everything. She goes, wow, why did you do this? And I say to her, because I'm dedicated to the institution of marriage. <laughs> no, she wants to hear what? Because I love you, because I love you. You say, Jeff, how do you know this? Because something was happening in Ephesus that we learned in other historical data and that is the Ephesians had massive opportunities to express love and compassion to the city. And they weren't. They did all the right things. Poverty ran rampant, just like any city of affluence. You always got the poor section of town. And it wasn't only the Christians. And status was everything. And if you did not have it, you struggled to the point of starvation. Infants and children were being thrown out onto the town dump, abandoned because they were had deformity of some kind, and the Christians weren't rescuing them. They're just leaving them there. They rescued them when they first came to Christ because they first loved Jesus. And when you love Jesus, the automatic result is you're going to love people. But now they love themselves and they stop loving people. And now it's about them and us. 
Because self-righteousness never leads to compassion. It leads to isolation, separation from those who need us most. That's how you know it's self-righteousness. Godly righteousness. Hey, do you remember what Jesus said when they asked him, what is the greatest command? What did he say? Come on, you know it. I don't even have to read it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said the second is likened to the first. In the Greek, that means they're inextricably tied together. In other words, you don't do one without the other. If you love God, you're going to love people. If you love people, it's because you love God. Man's search for meaning is a powerful elixir. And once he finds it, he's addicted to it. And if you're not careful, religion can have the same effect. You can begin to believe that your goodness sets you apart and earns you the right to be loved, adored, and respected. And suddenly, you're the righteous and they're the unrighteous. And you know when it happens to a church because they get a reputation of doing everything right. Those are right people. They got right doctrine. They do the right things. They shun all the right things, but they got no love. They got no passion for the hurting in the community. And that's when you know it's self-righteous. And what Christ says to the church at Ephesus is when your love for ritual and law-keeping, look, folks, you know that there's nothing worse than an arrogant, erudite Christian who thinks he knows everything and has little time for compassion, right? So Jesus says when your love for ritual and law-keeping become the primary means of achieving meaning and significance, our love for Jesus becomes secondary And we lose two things. We lose intimacy with Jesus because we don't need him anymore. We're self-righteous. And we lose passions for others because they're beneath us. He says, if you don't change, we're going to remove your lampstand. All that means is this. This is a cause and effect passage. Because the seven stars, according to Revelation 1.20, are the seven messengers to the seven churches. So there are angels that work, messengers from God that work with the churches. Jesus walks among these churches. He's the light of the world. He gives them their light. They become the light of the world. He says, if you don't stop acting this way, it's a natural cause and effect. He doesn't really have to do anything. It's a cause and effect. Here's the cause. The cause is, you don't have intimacy with me and you don't love me. The effect is, my light's going out. And if my light goes out in your life, your light to the community goes out. I'll remove your lampstand. You will no longer be salt and light. You will no longer have an impact on the people who are far from God. You understand? Now, the end of the sermon Take the compassion, the love of Jesus Christ into the world. That starts by you loving Jesus first. And here's how you know you love Jesus, because you love everybody else. You ready? All right. Thank you, Father. Some eight years ago when we prayed for a large piece of property that you said no, (laughs) so that we could use our resources to, to expand wide so that people far from God could come near and so that anyone who had a need would have a centralized place to go and without being judged, they would be treated with dignity, loved and cared for in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. And so now we come to this city called Pergamum. And Pergamum is going to teach us so much because first of all, when you talk about Pergamum, you're talking about the Washington DC of Asia Minor. So this is the capital. This is where policy is determined. And the provincial governor in Pergamum had what was known as the right of the sword. He determined who lived and who died. Now you can understand that's why Jesus starts his letter to the Pergamites with verse 1. He says to the angel of the church of Pergamum, right, these are the words of him who has sharp double-edged swords. So right out of the gate, he says, no, I make policy. 
You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.